Welcome to A Tribe Called Yes, the podcast that brings you closer to the world's most notorious risk takers, trailblazers, and enemies of the status quo. Now, here's your host, Darren K. Roberts. Welcome to the tribe, Alison Byrne Fields. She is the head honcho with Aggregate, a social justice creative strategy group that helps people and organizations tell their story. Hey, after recording this podcast, Allison decided to travel the world and meet people from across the globe who are passionate about social justice and looking for ways to create positive change. This is episode one, and be sure to tune in next week for episode two. Hello, Allison. Welcome to the tribe. So the first question I have for you is this. If I were to yank you out of your 11th grade English class and say, hey, Allison, what do you want to be when you grow up? What would the answer be? Uh, at, at that point, I wanted to be a filmmaker. Yeah, that was the time when we were applying to go to college. And I was pretty clear on the idea that I wanted to study film. And so I was applying to schools like NYU and to USC to, to study film production. And I actually started off at um, NYU studying film. So yeah, that, at that point in my life, I was pretty convinced that I wanted to be a filmmaker. I think it was, at that point, I was much more sort of enamored with the idea of movies and Hollywood and that kind of thing versus really thinking about storytelling for other reasons. Yeah. So, I mean, now you, you, you mean, you've created and, and you run a company that basically helps people to tell their story. So storytelling mm-hmm. has always been something that you've been interested in and, and, how did that start, though? I mean, talk about some early memories of maybe watching movies or reading books. Like, what really turns you on to storytelling? Um, I, I actually, I'm not really sure what essentially turned me on. I think I started to figure out how important it was that essentially, um, you know, I grew up um, in a in a, a low income neighborhood, you know, and I was one of the kids that that did well and sort of made it out. And I've thought about it a lot since then. And I think one of the issues is that what prevents a lot of people, I mean, you and I have studied public policy. And so people create policies to help people to to lift themselves up and, and to succeed. But really what I think it requires, as well as policy, is imagination. The ability to imagine something different than what you live in um, and and to aspire to something different than what you live in. I think like if you have very narrow parameters about what is possible in your life, you uh, you limit yourself or you may not be aware of it, but you limit yourself. And so I, I think I became aware that. Um, by being exposed to other people, about learning about how other people live their lives, um, that that was something that elevated me or enabled me to imagine bigger things for myself than what might have been handed to me at, at birth. Hmm. On this imagination piece, you know, I think about the election and it, it's clear that there are a lot of different Americas in the country and yeah. some that uh, on both sides of the ledger, right? How do you get people who, uh, you know, Americans don't travel. I'm just thinking of Right. The fact that we don't like to travel, um, we are, uh, we don't like to read. I think the average number of books that even college graduates read after graduating from college is something like two in their lifetime. Mm-hmm. How do you get people to, how do you stoke that imagination? Um, well, I think, I mean, you know, communications, kind of the basics is to figure out how to reach people where they are. Um, and so, um, trying to tell, trying to acknowledge that stories that people encounter are, um, are, are hit them everywhere. So, 
a lot of people will talk about the acceleration in the movement of marriage equality really came from the fact that more people were coming out. And so um, more people knew somebody who was gay. And so they became more uncomfortable with the idea of being discriminatory against gay and lesbian people. Mm-hmm. Um, and that in itself coming out is a, is a, is storytelling. It's, it's personal storytelling. So you think you have to think about it, you know, in ways that are broader than, um, than just, you know, reading a book or seeing a movie or reading a news article or whatever, that storytelling comes into play in how we interact with each other, um, on a day-to-day basis, but then just, you know, everything that we do. And, you know, there are people that, you know, work with uh, television writers to try to incorporate stories into um, narratives within, you know, sort of popular television. I mean, that, there are things like that, that that people do and that, that works. But I really think that it's just thinking more broadly about storytelling. Mm-hmm. The reference to the election, I mean, I, I do think it's a particularly challenging time for people who are thinking about trying to convince people and storytelling because of the fact that uh, people are, are seeing ex- the exact same situation and coming away with a completely different story based on their ideologies or their beliefs or what's been kind of hammered into them by the, the content that they're reading. Um, so I think it is a particularly challenging time as far as that's concerned. Hmm. Hmm. So you're, I'm, we're, we're going to go back now. You're applying to colleges. Yeah. How do you make the decision? I mean, what are people telling you? I, I applied to two schools and I think back now, I'm not sure why I did that. You know, it was for me, it was Stanford and Texas Mm -hmm. and there was nothing in between. And both of us, you know, we went to graduate school. We were applying to tons of school. Like what were people, what was the buzz around you during the college application process? Sure. I mean, I I have a very clear memory. I went to a Catholic girls school and my guidance counselor said, you can apply. I was in, I grew up in Connecticut. She said, you can apply to one, two schools. You can apply to Middlesex Community College or you can apply to UConn because you're, you're poor and you can't afford to go to any other school. Wait, hold on. on, on. Who was this telling you this? Who told you this? My guide, my guidance counselor. Wow. So I went home and I told my mother and my mother had gone back to college in her thirties to get her BA and she went to Westland University and she's like, no, 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 no. You are so poor that you can afford to go anywhere because they're going to pay for you to go there. Like between the federal government and the, the school itself. And she said, no, no. Like, so quite honestly, if I didn't, my mother hadn't had that personal experience, then uh, you know, and had I hadn't seen her story, then I wouldn't know that that was an opportunity for me. I mean, I would have gone with what the guidance counselor said because you know, the high school guidance counselor is supposed to know, right? But, and, and nothing against UConn or, or nothing against Middlesex Community College, but it was just the idea that I was being told that I had limited oper- like limited choices. And yeah, so mom's like, no, no, you're poor. Go wherever you want, but you're going to be able. To, it'll be fine. So. Yeah, you know, this has actually been a theme on the podcast. I've had more than one guest talk about how and vividly they can remember when their guidance counselor it seems like they they tried to manage expectations a bit but they said hey you know looking at your scores and race or you know ses then this is where you should apply um man that's tough (laughs) because i was but i was like i was you know i was in i was one of the top students i did really well on my sats like i had all the 
the goods to go somewhere else. And, you know, again, UConn's not a bad school, but it's, but it's definitely like, you know, if you live in Connecticut and you go to UConn, there's, you know, it's sort of like a, it's a, it's, it's about cost, you know, for often, often, unless there's a program that you're particularly interested in. And as teacher, I mean, as guidance counselor knew that I wanted to study film. So yeah. it was, it wasn't like I was, you know, I poured through the, the card, the catalog at UConn and I was like, mm, no, not really. There's not, <laughs> It was on a film program here, so. So how do you make the how do you make the choice? Well, I think it was. I got into USC. I got into NYU. I I think I, you know I was in Connecticut. I think I wanted to be closer to home, so I I picked NYU, and then I dropped out after a year and a half because um, I hated it. Um, yeah, it was like uh, it was one of those schools where like you could like in orientation they're like look to your left, look to your right. What two people are going to be gone, and you might be one of them. <laughs> I was like, well, that's encouraging. Um, so yeah, it was, it was not, and I ended up, but, but I ended up going to a, um, a small liberal arts college in Massachusetts that, um, Hampshire college that had a lot of, that had a different approach to production. I took, I, took, I dropped out, took a year and a half off. Then I went back to school. And, but I, when I went to this other school there, the professors that were teaching production were all folks who had, um, done work in the, like the seventies and eighties, like using, um, uh, video as a as like a political change tool like they used it as a as part of protest and, and things like that so that's I was taught in that school and so I started to see in a more direct way how what I was interested in could actually have a social or political impact hmm. the first th- that year at NYU what was that like I mean in the big city um, did you have circles of friends I mean did, was it was it just a tough transition yeah it was, it was I mean I was the it was the classic you know, a guy at home sort of thing. So it's like, it's really easy to jump on the Metro North to go home to uh, Connecticut and, and be with your boyfriend. So that stupid thing. And then, <laughs> which, you know, really in retrospect, you're like, really? Else? <laughs> um, but, um, but it was more that, but I, it, it is a tough school um, as far as the social part. I mean, I did have a circle of friends, but I mean, quite honestly, my first semester, there two, there were two suicides in my dorm. Mm. Um, the, um, it's the kind of school, you know, you like, you make friends in college cause you keep running into people. And at NYU, it's harder to like keep running into people cause there's no campus. So you might run into people like in the dining hall or something, but it wasn't that kind of like natural organic way of developing friendships that existed in like in a, in a more kind of contained campus sort of uh, setting. So, but yeah, it was, um, it was, I think socially I, I wasn't crazy about it, but then I also, you know, the romantic version is that I realized at some point that I had this idea that when you went to college that you, it wasn't just that you learned new things, it was that you thought you were taught to learn or think differently, hmm. you know, that like that you, you developed your, I guess your critical thinking skills. And I, I felt like I could get through college in four years without really thinking any differently than I did in high school. And so that was the romantic version of me dropping out. I think the, the less romantic version was just like, I hate this. You know? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Any regrets? Uh, and dropping out? No, not at all. Yeah. No, no. I, I believe it's one of those things where you, uh, you know, I, my both of my parents had dropped out of college. My mom ended up going back, and I think that they had a lot of anxiety about the fact that I was leaving school, and they thought maybe I wasn't going to go back. But I remember my sister and her roommate. Um, we were at a holiday party and they, they took me into like one of the rooms and popped a bottle of champagne and, and congratulated me on making a decision um, <laughs> to do this. And so it felt it was like 
framing it as me taking control of my life, which I thought was great. And so I've always really appreciated that. And so, yeah, I think it's, it was like that moment where you realize that sometimes leaving something, is just as good as, you know, creating something. Yeah. So, so then you go to Hampshire college. Yeah. And what's that like? It's one of those, um, we're in a, well, it's in the news right now and it's in a lot of trouble. Um, but, uh, there's, um, it's one of those, it's literally on a farm, um, probably about 1200 students at a time. A lot of, um, you know, uh, it's, it's one of those, it's a school where you design your own course of study, get evaluations instead of grades. Um, so people perceive it as being potentially kind of easier, but it's a lot of self-direction. It takes a lot of self-direction and, um, but it's, you know, it was very, going from being in a school like NYU where the, there is no real campus to being at a school like Hampshire, where you're essentially cradled in the, the bosom of, <laughs> of, you know, the, of the farm, you know, it's, it's pretty, it was pretty strikingly different, but, but great. And I actually, most of the friends that I um, had there are people that I continue to be friends with now. And it's, it's, it's one of the things that I believe it's the, where um, my entrepreneurial roots come from, because it's really about, um, the idea of creating your own thing. If you don't like something, you know, you can, you can complain about it for a little while, but you also have the opportunity to, to create something better. So um, I think that it, it's, it, it encouraged people in that way. So this whole notion of creating your, your own course of study, you know, I think of places like Brown and mm-hmm. I teach probably around 150 to 200 freshmen a year And there's always this pressure to kind of circle the major, right? Like there's some advisor lurking in the background, like, okay, you got to choose between government or psych or whatever it may be. And I'm like, how in the heck is, how do you know? I mean, like, like, and and what does that really mean? Because it seems like in today's world, people are switching between sectors for jobs. I think the average number of sectors um, for people who have jobs now in the next 20 years, like six different sectors. So people are going to be working in a lot of different roles, a lot of different um, sectors in the economy. And it seems like higher education in many ways hasn't quite caught up to that new world that we're going into. Mm -hmm. You have any advice for for young folk, you know, you and I are kind of on the older end now. Uh, I turned, <laughs> I'm turning 38 this year. But yeah, what, what do you think for, for young people who are going into school? Like what what sorts of skills um, should they be trying to hone in college? Yeah, uh, I mean, as an employer, I, you know, quite honestly, generally don't know what someone studied. And like as a major, I don't necessarily look at that. I look to see, you know, did they go to school? Maybe, maybe, you know, look at where they went to school, like, you know, whatever that kind of thing. But what I'm looking for as an employer are people who have uh, critical thinking skills and people who have the capacity to be, um, to be self-directed. So a body of knowledge is not necessarily, I mean, obviously there are certain jobs where a very specific body of knowledge is required in order to do the job. Hmm. Um, but I think most employers are looking for people who have the ability to, uh, problem solve to you know to come up with solutions to be able to communicate effectively in writing and and um, you know verbally yeah I think that's what people are looking for not you know someone that they can count on to speak up when something needs to be changed someone who knows that you know after you've spoken up you actually need to be part of, of fixing something um, I, you know mm-hmm. and quite honestly it's lacking you know I you know I see a lot of uh, people who I we interview and you know they really are just looking to be told precisely what to do um, and that's that's really difficult to, to like I, I don't have time you know um, 
I got to run a company. And so it's striking to me. So I'm, I'm a little disheartened by the move in education to focus on this, uh, you know, STEM education. And, and not that I, I, I think that it should be available and I think people should be encouraged. But I, I also think that we shouldn't in that process of emphasizing STEM education to look away from the just the, the basic value of teaching young people um, to think critically and to expose themselves to lots of different ideas. So a liberal arts education where you're really touching and, and thinking about things in different ways, um, it, I think is really important. I, I took this class at Hampshire called the history of childhood. Hmm. And the whole idea was that the, um, what it meant to be a child has changed throughout history based on everything from industry to, um, you know, actually industry being a big part of it, but like, what does it mean to be a six year old? If you're working in a factory, what does it mean to be an eight year old? If you're a slave, you know what I mean? What, like, what does it mean to be in, in 2016? Are you a child when you're 26? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, but like, it, but it's changed because of what you know, what demands have been placed on kids, and what we what we need as far as labor. And what was interesting to me about the course was really just that it emphasized the the fact that you know your singular point of view is not necessarily shared by everybody. You know that you really have to look at things in context um, and to understand them, and to make sort of you know blanket statements without understanding that context. Um, means you're not really going to get it. So talk, talk about this communication. And, and I'm thinking in particular writing, um, you know, as I, I remember grading my first batch of papers and wondering, you know, what in the heck am I reading? Uh, it, mm-hmm. it seems like it, it sort of vacillates between either the stream of consciousness, you know, sentences without any end to sort of the short, punchy, truncated, I'm almost texting kind of writing that goes on. Has it been hard to hire people who can write well? Uh, yeah. I mean, I think, I mean, I think people are more inclined to, I mean, because they're, you know, we're essentially a communications firm. So for the most part, people are, might be better, be on the, you know, the, the better end of the spectrum than others. But I do think that, you know, getting people to um, be able to express themselves in writing is a, is a challenge. Like just, you know, um, f- from everything from like having a distinct point of view, to um, to to writing in a way that that anticipates what the reader's questions are going to be. You know, if you like, I think about it in terms like when I'm reading something or when I'm writing something, I got to think about what is the reader thinking as they read it, and you know, being able to anticipate their questions and address them right then and there hmm. um, helps because it doesn't create a, a roadblock in the process of their reading. Um, so yeah, I just I don't I, I think it's it, but people are you know most of the folks that I work with. Uh, ho- ideally, um, are, are relatively good at, you know, forming sentences. It's just, it's really like being able to assert ideas, um, and anticipate what the reader needs. Um, so. So you graduate, we're we're taking it back. You graduate and what are your thoughts? Like, what are, you know, this is the young Allison walking out into the world. What are you thinking will be the next steps for you? Um, well, at that point, um, I moved, uh, I moved to London. My Hampshire had this program where they give you, there's a grant to enable you to keep working on your senior thesis in some way. So I, I moved to England or to London for a little while to work with a professor that I had, that had been an advisor on my project. And it was kind of, you know, sort of a gap year. It was like, I don't know what I'm doing. (laughs) Um, I got back from London and I was, I, my first real job was just, you know, probably, I think I got it within a few months after getting back. And um, it was a job at a, a nonprofit in Durham, North Carolina that worked with young people to produce their own 
content, their own media. Hmm. Um, and so I was, I was on that path at that point to really the idea, you know, my, my, my work has involved either helping other people to create content or creating content myself or helping people to figure out what their story is. I mean, so that was the, that was the origin, um, in that, in that nonprofit. So. so you basically wanted to run the clock out a little bit. You go to London. Yeah. I'm wondering, has traveling played an important role in your life? Yeah. I mean, in a lot of different ways. I think it's, um, I mean, internationally, it's important um, just the, you know, the being exposed to other worlds and other people. I think that's an incredibly important thing. There's also, um, when I when I moved to London, my family was just flabbergasted with the idea that I was, you know, I didn't have a job and I didn't, um, I, I, you know, I, I lied to my parents. I told them I already had an apartment and a job. I, I didn't have either of those things. Um, and so all my life, there's been this idea, uh, I've, I've sort of viewed travel, particularly international travel as an, as a way of, of reflecting that there are no limitations that you can go to anywhere and see anything. And so like being in a place like Cambodia or being, you know, in South Africa or, or you know, places that are literally really far from home to me are, a, a, they're a metaphor just in like, you, you're, you know, that I've, that I, have, I do not allow constraints to um, hold me back. Um, but, um, but just on a, on a regular basis, I love traveling. I, I'm a hotel freak. I love hotels. <laughs> uh, and I also, I also just, it's really silly, but I really like, um, going to a city for a brief period of time because your friends are so willing to, to drop everything and hang out with you. If you're only in town for four days, <laughs> when you live somewhere, people are like, I'm busy. Like I got, I got my job, I got my friends, I got my family, whatever. And so it's much more difficult to like, I feel like when you travel, you know, everybody's excited cause you're like, just in, you're in town. And so it's, uh, um, I, I like it for that reason, which sounds really geeky, but it's true. Like I just people drop everything. Um, but no, I, it's, I, travel is incredibly important for, for, I guess, for the reasons that I talked about initially. What's the next country? Is there a big trip that you have planned at some point over the next couple of years, some place that you haven't been that you're looking forward to, to, to seeing? Yeah. Well, I, it's not necessarily country specific, but I, I am planning a big trip. I, I'm thinking right now about, and this is in part stems from the election, but my version of a midlife crisis is having worked all my life on, on social change. Uh, the big question is, has anything changed? And I feel like there are lots of people in my, um, in my place who have been doing this work all their lives and are feeling kind of frustrated, um, not just because of this election, but just because, you know, it's like you see the same stuff being discussed um, like I, I used to run Rock the Vote uh, many years ago, and we were dealing with things around, you know, voter access and voter ID and, you know, all these kinds of laws that we we're trying to put into place to get to increase voter turnout. And it's the same stuff being discussed now. And that was a while ago. <laughs> you know? I mean, that was that was before we were in grad school. So, yeah, it's um, a frustration. And that's I'm sort of in that place. So I have this plan right now to do some travel around the world um, and talk to people about this idea and this, this question and, and essentially get some advice. But the, hmm. the thought is to, um, is to have people connect me with other people that are doing this work. So not, I'll start off with a list of people that I know, but add on to it based on people's introductions. And, and I've been told of, of people I, I should be speaking to in, in countries around the world. So I'm imagining over the next couple of years, I'll be doing quite a bit of travel. Woo. Some great nuggets in there from Allison. Be sure to tune in next week when Allison comes back to us for part two. 
And in the meantime, keep saying yes.